Oh, right. Okay, man. Okay. Well, Jonathan Webb, he fucking, he fumbled the bag for good this time. We've seen the last of him. <laughs> well, I'm sure we haven't seen the last of him, but I think he finally fucked it up, man. I think he finally... He finally done it, done it. He finally... <laughs> Who could have saw this coming? You know, I've been asking myself that, too. Like, who could have seen this coming? I mean, obviously, we thought it would work. We, obviously, from the very beginning, we were some of his biggest boosters. And I really take issue with people that say, they're, oh, we're haters. You don't understand. We were trying to challenge him to be better. You know, you... you that's all it was. That's all it was. Every protagonist needs an antagonist yeah if michael jordan wouldn't have punched steve kerr when they were teammates you think he went on to be the best coach in the NBA? no exactly you, you Frankly, have no. you have to have someone constantly challenging you you to be a better you yeah and that, anybody calling us haters or naysayers or Downers or wreckers or whatever other stupid term you have for this genre of person, just know that we're just trying to get the best performance out of you at the end of the day. That's all that's all we're trying to do. That's all we're trying to do. Um this is from November twenty second. Once called the future of farming, App Harvest discloses substantial doubt about its future. And uh they've got a picture of my man looking fucking Sexy as fuck, dog. <laughs> oh shit! He always does. He have the wet hair going on. Yeah, yeah, he does. It's, it's wet hair, motherfuckers, man. It's yeah, you're right, guys. Wet hair, motherfuckers are r running the world. It's fucked up. It's a look. It really is a look. And it's November 7th filing of App Harvest reported net losses of $83 million for the first nine months of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Mistakes were made. <laughs> Let, can I juxtapose this with one thing? Oh, yeah. So I'm looking at, so I was just looking, it's funny because I've, I've got this all pulled up now because I was looking for um, this article that we're reading from right now. And let me just read a couple of headlines from the other times the New York Times has covered this outfit. Please. <clears throat> from September 3rd, 2019. A greenhouse large enough to feed the eastern seaboard. <laughs> <laughs> what? From the entire from... U.S.? Eastern U.S.? Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> From July 6, 2021. No soil, no growing seasons. App Harvest is just adding water and technology. <laughs> <clears throat> That's not all. From this year, from this summer, June 21st, 2022. Indoor farming, a no-brainer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they didn't. They meant that in the sense that uh, no brains went into it. That's what they meant. Yeah. 
Oh, and then finally, from November 22nd, 2022, Kentucky-based App Harvest admits serious concerns about its future. <laughs> and I'm, I'm leaving out when he was investigated for securities fraud. <laughs> right. Um, this is from the Herald-Leader article. Groups of shareholders, including a public pension fund in Plymouth, Massachusetts, have filed five federal lawsuits against App Harvest in the last 15 months. Did you know that? A public pension fund in Plymouth, Mass. had invested in App Harvest, and now their stock is trading below $5? God, <laughs> I'm not laughing at them. I'm laughing at how bad this guy has done his job. <laughs> Dude, when you're getting into the, the VC vulture game, the name of the game is just abide right doing right by your shareholders right okay like that's i mean these people do anything to do that uh, this guy's not even good at being a wall street crook <laughs> i mean i i guess i need to go back to basics here i don't understand this we live in an extremely fertile state well maybe not the men here the the men here are stricken with ed we are we are the least virile of the Eastern Seaboard, probably. Yet another thing we need to just transition about. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the soil, speaking in terms of soil, like, Kentucky's like an agriculture state. Like, what? Okay, I'm, I, we have to return to, like, first premises. Why did they fucking want to go with the greenhouse model in the first place? Was it, is it, be, is it entirely because they, <clears throat> conceptualize this to work on top of strip jobs but then once they realized that that wouldn't be profitable they tried to move it further west in the state but they they maintained the greenhouse thing like what i don't i guess i'm missing here's what i've always thought from people that are knowledgeable about this kind of thing is that the, the whole idea behind App Harvest was that it was never about tomatoes. Tomatoes was just their entree, right? It was always about having the infrastructure in place for when marijuana was legalized in Kentucky, which was is not likely to happen. And, was, and to be quite honest, I'm not sure if it'll happen anytime soon. If that's true, so, that's one of the stupidest fucking gambles I've ever heard. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, because it's well, it's like, like you're, you're like, how are you raising all this VC cash, billions of VC cash, on something that might happen? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. A lot you of know, ifs and buts. It's a lot of ifs and buts. You know what they say about ifs and buts? <laughs> if they were candies and nuts, we'd all have a merry Christmas. <laughs> Um, yeah, in the lawsuits, shareholders say that App Harvest executives misled investors and regulators with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission to make it appear they were better prepared for the company's launch than they really were. Meanwhile, top executives were being awarded millions of dollars in compensations. Uh, while App Harvest made optimistic statements throughout the inaugural 2021 harvest season, behind the scenes, it struggled with hiring, training, production, and produce quality at its farm-growing tomatoes in Moorhead. Um, at times the company had to bring in contract labor from outside the region, which again, like imagine the whole that, thing, imagine that, right? Yeah, like the whole thing was premised on them revitalizing the Appalachian region. <laughs> yeah, with jobs and all this stuff, and really all I've heard was bringing outside labor in and exploiting like cheap 
Margaret Farm Labor. <laughs> Dude, it is such a fascinating look at the state of, I don't know, working class formation that, I mean, I'm reading this at the same time that they're making all these promises about this prison coming here and about all the pre- people here that are going to work at it. And they're going to, they're just going to run into the same problem that like App Harvest ran into, which is that. Well, A, there's just not a lot of people here in general. It's just a... It, it, there's Everybody's leaving. Everybody's getting the fuck out. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. But also, people don't want fucking $8 jobs picking tomatoes. Um, yeah, they, they frame this like this is like the, like the cure to all that ails us. But it's like, man, nobody can get excited about like tough work for no money you know what i mean no matter how much you like sort of couch it in like this is the next big thing or you know this is going to solve x societal problem it's just like who in the world is going to be excited about that dude it truly is a fact i mean obviously like venture capitalism venture capital like the whole point is i think like most venture capital projects fail i think is what i've heard um but it is a fascinating look into how, at this point, none of this serves any real need or utility. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about like the market and and the market allocates resources and investment where it needs it, like clearly, they had to spin a narrative that was disconnected. There was a disjunction, a disconnection between reality on the ground and what they were telling investors, and then fucking people got swindled into it and i mean this fucking pension plan you know what i mean like a a pension fund fucking was invested in like real people are gonna be fucking hurt by that well dude it's it goes back to the thing this summer uh you know when a friend of ours had pointed out that jonathan webb had this insanely insensitive quote i think it may be in the richmond virginia paper but i'm not positive it was that but it was basically like talking about the upside of the monsoon season just weeks after people's lives have been completely wrecked in this flooding. Right. right? And they're like PR team immediately sprung into action saying, no, this was taken totally out of context. And then you go back and it's like, it's a direct quote though. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like what's, where's the context? You know what I mean? It's not like the writer was paraphrasing or something like that. It's like, and, uh, it, but it's like, it's like, these people are so up their own ass with the vision and the conception of themselves as like these people that are going to be the saviors of a place that they are numb to like the real hurt and destruction that they do in pursuit of this. It's it's just it's it's just the same hubris you see in Musk or any of these people. But like they don't understand how like, oh, that could be insensitive to people that like are just days away from this like very jarring traumatic thing. Or these people who have like losing their retirement on the irresponsibility of these fuckwits. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Like even if it was in context innocuous, even if it was like in context made sense, it's still the timing, bro. Fucking read the room. Yeah. You have nothing else, my man. Just uh, yeah. Maybe uh, maybe sit this one out for a while. <laughs> This is interesting. In one motion, App Harvest calls the litigation against them a textbook example of plaintiff's attorneys alleging fraud by hindsight. 
under a securities law because the company is losing money, not because there's actual <laughs> evidence of fraud. No, I think there's actual evidence of fraud. <laughs> nah, I think there's actual evidence of fraud when, uh, yeah, you rolled out your IPO, like, totally unaware of what you're doing and making all these insane uh, sort of claims that were n- none of it bore out in reality. You know? Dude, this is an interesting... Also, didn't they falsify some of their, like... Like, do you remember, like, they got in trouble early on with those aphids or whatever? Yeah. And, like, they acted like this was not, a like, a big deal, but, like, basically one of their first big, I don't know what you'd call it, a harvest crop, whatever, uh, ended up just totally getting fucked. And so they had to, like, use these bad tomatoes to make, like, sauces and stuff so it didn't, like, wasn't complete waste. So they, like, repackaged their fucked tomatoes because they can't sell them in stores as, like... Salsas and Bloody Mary mix and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, it, they themselves admitted this is interesting. They themselves admitted, um, they said App Harvest was a young company with an inexperienced management team undertaking a massive farming endeavor for the first time in a region where workers were transitioning from a different in- industry. It would have been evident to the ordinary investor that our, App Harvest would encounter problems with labor and tomato quality and yield. Bitch, you fucking, you didn't say that. Like, that is, like, that's crazy that they admit that, one. But, like, two, all of their outward-facing appearance and, and, and statements and everything imbued, they imbued themselves with this, like, uh, me and Aaron talked about this on the episode on, on Sunday, how that, like, capitalists now as opposed to like a hundred years ago they talk about themselves and their uh sort of investments in and actions in this universe like savior um like this universe shattering like like deified self-deified manner in which like all their actions are are specifically geared to just the cost of doing business because the greater is that what you're getting at yeah yeah like okay so like let's just as an example, and I could be wrong, maybe this is hasty, but just as an example, like, do you think when J.P. Morgan, or, that's not a good example, but, like, John Rockefeller, when he was, like, opening up a new, uh, like, oil patch or something like that, that he was going in and saying, like, we're going to save the region, this is going to turn the region around, like, we're going to save the workers here, we're going to save the people, like, there's this, there's this inherent logic of, like, saviorism and of rescue, and it's so bizarre that I mean, again, I don't, I don't think that that was happening a hundred years ago. Maybe in some isolated pockets here and there, and that's also just because, like, of the nature of the frontier a hundred years ago and all this other stuff. But it is just interesting that that's how they view themselves, and that's how they view their investments as as they themselves like they've done this like self delusion thing where they know it is an investment that they're getting money. Uh, they're, they're getting money returned on and that they are capitalists, but they've deluded themselves into thinking that that is in and of itself this kind of like self-deifying measure, that it's like mm-hmm. it proves that they are in the pantheon of the gods. And right. mm-hmm. I don't I don't know, man. It's I can't I guess I'm not articulating it well, but maybe you see what I'm saying. No, 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 totally. Yeah, and and it's <laughs> just imagine that wet haired motherfucker just at the Parthenon, just sitting on a <laughs> sitting on a big fucking throne beside Zeus and the boys. <laughs> it's like there's um 
on PBS NewsHour the other day, they interviewed AOL founder Steve Case on the surprising entrepreneurs reimagining the economic landscape. And he wrote that book. You remember when J.D. Vance and them were doing that Rise of the Rest tour? Yeah, 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 that safari. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, he wrote a book called Rise of the Rest, and it's all about like how all this investment is is concentrated in like Silicon Valley, and they need to like diversify it out and like save the hinterlands. And this is from an interview on November twenty fourth, two days after that Harold Leader story ran saying that like, yo, we're, so, we're, I don't know about our long-term <laughs> prospects. They're tugging at their collar and that like comically large sweat bead is dropping down their face. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> like the, the, they get this article. It says like, he's like one of the great stories in the book is an entrepreneur named Jonathan Webb. He started a company called app harvest in Eastern Kentucky, coal country, Appalachia, which has, has had a rough run for the last de- several decades. But he decided to start a company. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> he decided to start a company there that's created 600 jobs in the last couple of years in a place that has really been left behind. Uh, and, so, and he says, so this is part of the answer. We have to launch new companies. We have to create new jobs. Half of the Fortune 500, the biggest companies, turn over every 25 years. So you can't re- just rely on your big companies. You have to just be launching new companies. <laughs> I, I see my man didn't renew his Kentucky.com subscription before he did this interview. <laughs> uh, fucking hell, man. Just like the uh, levels of self-delusion. Just, it's ideology, obviously, but... Oh, my God, dude. It is, it's truly a thing to behold. Who would have thought, man, uh, making shitty hydroponic tomatoes... Uh, in you know these sort of high-toned, whatever you want to call them, apparatuses. Who who could see that failing? You know. Ah <laughs> uh, man, I love this. They've got a picture on the Herald Leader story um, of a bulldozer with a massive app harvest display on it. It says Governor Andy Bashir Senate. Oh, they they said Senator Hal Rogers. It's Congressman, actually. And App Harvest CEO Jonathan Webb spoke during a groundbreaking ceremony at the site of App Harvest's new facility in Somerset. Uh, Man, they're really getting further and further away from the coal fields. (laughs) Every every move they make is like... Yeah, they're going to be... You know, it's going to lead guys like this to sort of... Like, think there actually is like something like a curse... You know what I mean? Like you're going to see Jonathan Webb pop up at 20 years. Said the reason it didn't work was because like of some sort of Appalachian curse or something like that. <laughs> that like a curse was put on these on, on these. Like, hills. There's nothing they could have been done. It was just like written in the stars that it's you know like is yeah some sort of I don't know some sort of ancient curse or something because he just can't look in the eye that like oh. Maybe a guy whose only job before this was being in a shitty ska band that plays at the fucking, uh, <laughs> what's that place called over here on the corner? Uh, the fish tank. <laughs> Dude, I, the, the thing that kills me is that if it works, it works, it's fine. But what the fucking thing that drives me crazy is the pandering to Eastern Kentucky. Because, like, read this part right here. People in Eastern Kentucky are understandably skeptical skeptical about companies that come into the region and make promises about jobs, Webb said. 
in just the last few years. I, you know, I hate that because that's not true. It's like, like the, actually, the opposite is true. People beg for shit to come here. Like, <laughs> we, is, like this whole prison deal is coming, you know, maybe just because people are pining for it. That's not true. The exact opposite is true. I know, I know. I just got out of, you're right. I just got out of a meeting last week where I just saw the entire fucking town rally around a fucking prison when people need fucking houses. Yeah. Like, they clearly are asking for jobs. And not just the, like, the boosters and, like, the civic leaders and stuff. Like, actual workers are asking for jobs, too. Like, I'm not trying to get it twisted. But, like, what kills me is that he says, so people in eastern Kentucky are understandably skeptical about companies that come into the region and make promises about jobs. But App Harvest actually has built farms, he says, hired people, and started to deliver produce to the market. Bitch, not in eastern Kentucky you haven't. Somerset yeah. is not the fucking coalfields. It makes no. me feel like I'm fucking insane. No, well, the thing, these pulled the classic bait and switch, right? In the sense that, yes, like some places like Moorhead and Somerset might be considered eastern Kentucky to some people. Even though I don't think, you know, I think Somerset is kind of its own thing. Like that's kind of the point where things start kind of changing up a little bit in the central Kentucky. A little bit, like in terms of like, you know, you get more farming and less mining and stuff, stuff like that. Right. Um. But it's like, but like, to the VC investors that like want those Appalachia buzzwords and stuff like that, that's not really well articulated. So like, if he says he's bringing all these jobs to Moorhead and stuff, to them all they see is like these former coal miners are 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 farming tomatoes. Right. That's not that's not what's happening. You know what I mean? But he's still echoing and making people believe that that's what it is because that's what raises the money. Dude, right. It's like I, I'm not trying to like I'm not trying I'm literally not trying to do some gotcha like oh, Somerset and Moorhead aren't Eastern Kentucky because I guess you could say technically they probably are. But what I take issue with is the sort of savior narrative directed towards the coal fields. Places like Somerset and Moorhead have a readily accessible and exploitable working class because in Moorhead's case, there's a college there and there's like a, a little bit more of an economic base. And in Somerset's case, you've got like Hal Rogers. It's right on the edge of the coal fields. You've got the Cumberland Lake. You've got, you know, right on the Hal Rogers Parkway. There's all these other sort of inputs going in that... Um, you know, make a, a, for a, like a larger working class pool to pull from. And in this place where there was only one industry ever, and as that, and as you had the organized abandonment of that industry, I mean, it basically just fucking pulled the pillars of everything else with it. And it's like, yeah. th th those are two qualitatively different sort of political economic experiences. And if you want to grow tomatoes in a fucking um, greenhouse, by all means, fucking go for it. But don't fucking say you're a savior of fucking of the coal fields. Like it's like that. That is just the part that no, fucking you drives have me a, crazy. You, you're a tomato salesman, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. You're not a savior of anything. You're to, yeah, but tomato salesman doesn't get the VC dollars. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. App Harvest has certainly turned heads. That's what Kentucky's ag commissioner said. 
that's yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I do appreciate this on the story. They compiled like a fucking like a mega mix of all of Jonathan Webb's um, dozens of interviews uh, to promote the company, and he's wearing the same stupid fucking hat in every single interview. It's like, dude, come on, come on. Like wet hair and ba- and stupid hat. It's potent combo. It's just the damnedest thing. It's just it's just narrative is really what it is. Yeah, it's just, it's just. Yeah, I'm so sick of the, this guy. Like, like I don't know what to tell anybody that thought this was going to really yield anything other than what it yielded. You know, I'm not taking a victory lap on anybody losing their retirement or anything like that. But the reality is, is this was like just stupid from its conception, and at, and that's probably being generous. At at worst, it may have even been designed to fail. You uh-huh. know what I mean? It may have been it may have been just a tax write off for people. You know what I mean? And Jonathan Webb was just a loyal enough foot soldier of all these sort of cretins to to pull it off. I don't know. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I it just I just yeah I just. I think putting a multi-billion dollar tomato company in the hands of a former ska musician and a UK (laughs) basketball player turned struggle rapper was probably just not had a high ceiling in terms of outcomes. Right. Which also just proves how desperate. I mean, dude, me and you tomorrow could say that we're going to do like an Elizabeth Holmes-esque fucking home medical scam and like if we had if we had the right people backing us we could fleece everybody in these small communities from fucking pipeful to paducah you know it wouldn't because people are struggling you know what i mean it's not that they're feckless or stupid or anything but they want to hope against hope that things are going to work out for them you know which is makes like webb's quote they're stupid like i know that they're skeptical it's like no they're skeptical of like the big coal people they're not skeptical that like people are <laughs> ready to wholesale take whatever you know again that's that's what we're seeing with the prison and other shit but right i don't know it's it's disheartening to say the least it, this is a this is probably a question for the bleachers but uh uh what is the substantive difference between like an elizabeth holmes and a jonathan webb like why is she doing 11 years it's like do you? I mean, I'm not like an Elizabeth Holmes apologist, but I do feel like that she was surrounded by people who enabled her rise and who funded her, like Henry Kissinger and shit. Like, why is she the one, like that gets, uh, yeah, like eleven years? Is it? I mean, I know it's for defrauding investors. Is it? Is it like the amount of money? Yeah, how is this different? How is this different though? Yeah, I, you know what's crazy? <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, you were talking the other day. About their lawyer was like, "Hey, she's pregnant. Let's just give, if you if you do give her prison sentence, let's cap it at eighteen months. But like, you know, maybe she doesn't need to go to jail at all. That judge is like, nah, eleven years. Eleven years. <laughs> God it's damn. Like, I was like, fuck. Yeah, but yeah. like, why? Yeah, that's a good question. Why is? Yeah, what is the substantive difference between her and somebody like Jonathan Webb? You know." Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure it has to do with probably when you're dealing with a medical, um, a medical procedure 
company like that medical provider company like you're also probably dealing with like malpractice claims and stuff like yeah. that so yeah it's a higher degree of liability than just some fucking tomatoes. ridden tomatoes right. <laughs> <laughs> right right i don't know but it is it is an interesting thing because like who are the people that fucking enabled Jonathan Webb in this case. Who were who are his Henry Kissingers and the like? Uh Senator J D Vance. <laughs> JD Vance. Uh, uh Steve Case from AOL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean there's a laundry list of people, but Martha yeah. Stewart, you know, I mean Yeah. Yeah. The fun it just it just remains funny to me that they thought a ska guy was gonna feed the eastern seaboard. <laughs> <laughs> It's like no disrespect to my ska people, <laughs> include present company included. <laughs> it's it's like, yeah, dude. It's like in ancient Roman times, like the general you pledged fealty and allegiance to, like he would have your grain allotment. And now it's like a guy who played in a third wave ska band, Operation Ivy covers. <laughs> Oh, dude. I mean, it's just like the Kanye shit. It's just like you couldn't have even scripted it out. It's so stupid. <laughs> oh, fucking A. Well, yeah, do you want to talk about Kanye, dude? <laughs> oh, well, we get, you know, people jump on us every time we do, but it's... What else can you say? You know, what... One day you're married to the most famous starlet on the planet, and the next day you're eating shitty hibachi with, uh, you know, your buddies with some questionable beliefs. <laughs> well, I will say this, and I mentioned this to you last night. You know, I will say this. He's definitely had the most exceptional fall from grace, the most exceptional um, burning out, fading away of a pop star in human history, I think. Like, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I believe that too, man. And we're talking about Michael Jackson's child molestation case. We're, yeah, we're talking about... like, Which really didn't even do him in, which tells you how bad this is. <laughs> exactly. Like, like he it would be more honorable. He would have more dignity if he went out like Elvis. Like, OD'd on the toilet. Like, trying to take a shit. Like, that would have more... Like that would be a less sad story. Yeah, being you, well, you said it. Being a Nazi is not really something you come back from because, like, look, even if he were to like you know, fall on his sword and plead mental illness and you know anything else, and I think I mean I think there's certainly probably something to that a little bit, even though again, this motherfucker's almost fifty, not twenty one. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Uh. Like, you're still going to be remember, oh, yeah, Kanye West was a Nazi for a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like my man basically fumbled the bag so much he earned a new Wikipedia tab. <laughs> That's always going to be on there. You know what I mean? And it's like, what's it say? It's just like, it's just one of the few things that just doesn't. Well, you can't wash off. You know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't wash off. It it it's it's worse than death. It's a social death that's worse than Co Kurt Cobain putting a shotgun in his mouth. Like it is, he literally would have been better off if he would have died. <laughs> Man, that is it is it is sad. I mean, it really is sad in so many ways. Because man, you know, for 
all of Kanye's warts to this point. You know, he kind of, I don't know, there was something about him that made you just, I don't know. I don't know, something just uniquely special about his well, art and all that kind of stuff. And it's, yeah. I will say this. I will say this. Everything finally, cl- everything about him and my own kind of weird interest in him over the years finally clicked when I read that Rolling Stone like expose about his time at the helm at Yeezy, at Adidas. It's like he... It's like what I thought to have been over the years, a arti- an artistic position that was a kind of critique of power was actually a... Like, burgeoning Nazism. <laughs> yes, it was a fascination with power, which is... Fa- which a fascist is, idea, yeah. Which is a fascist idea in, in all the aesthetics and other kind of like transgressive and, and subversive things that he was playing with, edgelord shit that he was playing with was only ever going to lead in one direction. Putting the Confederate flag on his merch yeah. on that tour and that, that kind of thing, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And like if you read that article, it's like this guy genuinely thought it was a like boundary-pushing thing, which it is. It's a boundary-crossing thing, but he thought that this was a uh, kind of like profound artistic statement to like show people porn when they did not want or asked to see it and stuff like that. You know no, what I mean? It's like sexual harassment. <laughs> yeah, like bringing it up in like corporate boardrooms and stuff. Exactly. It's sexual harassment. It's like, yeah, no, this guy was just from the beginning like obsessed with, uh, he was obsessed with power and, and kind of like drunk with it. And it makes total sense why he is kind of yeah. the position that he's in now. Uh, yeah. But uh, something just uniquely depressing about finding yourself at a fucking. Yeah, just some shitty fucking restaurant with Nick Fuentes. I don't know. It's just... Mm. You wonder how that happens. Let me ask you this. Do you think the right-wingers are in... Like, I... Because, you know, like, Kanye and Nick Fuentes went to Mar-a-Lago. Trump, Trump, like, had dinner with them. Trump's, like... Trump has, like, kind of melted down about that in several different ways. But one of the best was, like, he had a post on Truth Social that was, like... I met with Kanye, a black man, by the way, or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like he did. He, he didn't espouse any anti-Semitism at my dinner table. A sh- yeah, a Nick Fuentes didn't know him before this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, I just want to say that if this is um, if this is true, if this is like indicative of a larger conflict going on on the right. <clears throat> I just want to say that I think I called it and I think I called it based on the Russia Ukraine thing, which is that like for years, pundits have been talking about the coming civil war. But what if they had the location of that war wrong? What if this whole time it was on the right? Because you look at Ukraine and Russia, it's like these are two right wing forces. Nice. Yeah. Fucking duking it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, they were right. But the terms and the and the locations were we're off yeah yeah interesting um well anyways um oh man this is just depressing i don't know what to say about it it's yeah um, it's you know one last thing i'll say about it too is is style and being cool i guess are kind of immutable things you know Mm mm-hmm and the weird thing about this is there's just nothing cool 
or or even like interesting about running with losers like that. You know what I mean? Like, I think, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, usually these post-left types have these, like, flirtations with the right. Because ultimately, they they can put that stuff back in the box, right? Like, they can just, like, you know, interview Alex Jones or whatever. And then just, like, the next day, they just set that back down, you know? Like, right. oh, that was just, like, one of those quirky things we just did. And it is just something that I just think is so pressing about like a guy that has prided himself on this those immutable style and cool things for as long as he's been in the public eye to find himself in such an uncool position is <laughs> like it's like uniquely depressing i don't know yeah well like i said i think that it was probably always going to end up here i don't know if there was any alternative if there was any other way like it was probably inevitable like like i said going back and reading that rolling stone thing like this guy has um like a deeply misguided sense of art and the role of the artist and a theory about you know a deeply misguided theory of art anyways i mean I, which, I, is, I, is, which is like for somebody that's so prodigiously talented too to like just totally miss the mark about what it's all about you know right there's something sad about that too yeah yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, nothing more to really say about that. I I do want to cover one thing before we go. It's an article in the New York Times that was sent to me by <laughs> a friend, um, Ryan Hagerman, who uh, I swear I probably would have found this article on myself, Ryan, because I read the fucking New York Times every day, but uh, but I, I got and I was I was you know I was slacking, and uh, <laughs> so thanks for not letting this one fall through the cracks. This is probably best understood. <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite videos on the internet is uh, one of my favorite videos on the internet that I'll laugh every time it comes up. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like. This guy who's like a Star Wars fan, and he's like, hey, everybody, it's my birthday. And you know what that means? You get to meet my girlfriend. It's like, it's Star Wars Day or whatever. And it's like the the video keeps zooming out to, <laughs> like, it's like it, it zooms out to reveal, like, a gun to her head. And then it zooms out further, <laughs> and people are like, come out, people come out. All of which is to say that this this letter is probably best understood as having been written by someone who has in their basement not a body but probably a kidnapped worker at from Disney World who like that John Fowles book The Collector they like go down there and make me like um, prime rib and like tell them about the soap operas they've watched recently right, and how they're right. <laughs> <laughs> like like you can never leave you're my special little boy you know what i mean it's like <laughs> this is written by someone who has taken a hostage and like we don't know it we'll find out in like 200 years when they find the skeleton in this guy's basement is <laughs> <laughs> uh, in disney called the article is called bob chapik is that his name the the departing CEO of Disney, Chapek. I think or, I think that's right. Yeah, Bob Chapek. So. 
Didn't Believe in Disney Magic by Lynn Testa. Uh, oh, so creepy, dude. <laughs> very, very fucking creepy name. I looked him up, too, on Google. I don't recommend doing that. You'll get even more creeped out. <laughs> this, is in, this is in the New York Times, man. This is Wait, like, what was this, the guy's name? I got to Google it. Lynn Testa, T-E-S-T-A. Dude, this is a grown man, probably in his 40s. He looks like he's probably 45 or so. A grown man wrote this fucking article called Bob Chappick didn't understand Disney magic. Wait, so wait, this guy... Didn't believe in Disney magic. So this guy is like a Disneyland tour guide. He is. He's a Disneyland tour guide, basically. Well, not proper. He's not employed by Disney. He like has his own little right. Like he, yeah, he, he's done it, taken it upon himself. Yeah, he's taken it upon himself. So like, oh he's, man, that's how obsessed he is with Disney. He he is horned up. For you know, we've Disney. the phrase Disney adults has entered the cultural lexicon in the last little bit. Mm. Kind of used as an umbrella term to describe like even people like into Marvel movies only and. You know, like you know, stuff ostensibly made for children that you know adults can sometimes enjoy, but maybe this group of people enjoy it perhaps more than they should. <laughs> this is who this was made for. I, I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Like, I he is read, the Disney adult. <laughs> he's the Disney adult. I could do it. It's a fascinating glimpse into the psychology of a Disney adult. And I will say this. I'm less disturbed disturbed reading like the psychotic ramblings of Charlie Manson than I am reading this. <laughs> well, it's fun. I just looked at this guy's Twitter and he says, My babblings in the New York Times. I'm like, oh yeah, well, you at least he's self aware. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Let's kick let's, us off. Let's go into the mind of madness. This is true John Carpenter <laughs> shit, dude. The mind of madness. I am one of the many devoted Disney fans around the world. We spend hundreds of dollars on annual passes that let us go to theme parks as often as we want, and many of us proudly wear Disney-inspired clothes while visiting them. The hardcore Among Us debate whether a ride based on the Frozen movies is appropriate for Epcot, which was envisioned as a nonfiction theme park. My master's thesis in computer science created new efficient algorithms for one of math's fundamental optimization problems. Why, I applied why, it. Why, to- why, 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 This man says that Epcot's abandoned its founding purpose because it was conceived as a nonfiction part of the theme park. <laughs> And they let a frozen exhibit in. Yes. It's, he's These are or- the kind of things that keeps this guy up at night. <laughs> he's Orthodox Disney, man. He, he, he okay. believes, he like, he's originalist. He's like the Scalia of Disney. Like, everything adheres to it. It has to adhere to its originalist form and intention. I, I just want to connect these things really quick. But, like, didn't the aforementioned Kanye West once say, I am Walt Disney. I am... <laughs> Uh, Steve Jobs, I am who somebody else in the flesh. Like Kanye's a Disney adult. To really tie this back to that, you know, he what is. I mean? he, he is so much the, so he said he is the reincarnation of Walt Disney. the The funny the 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 funniest thing about that is that he said like I am Hitler or something like that, like or that he admired Hitler, which is fucking hilarious because 
it literally like Kanye's a dumb guy, and so like that's just his way of saying that he's depressed right now. Like you know what I'm saying? Like he's not Steve right, Jobs right. anymore. <laughs> he's not optimistic about anything anymore. He's like I'm Hitler now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Like he might not be a Nazi at all. Maybe he just like relates to like the world and what he's experiencing his emotions through personalities uh, and right now he's in his sad hitler face exactly um another interesting part about this though in addition to being an orthodox disney follower he says in for his master's thesis in computer science instead of like tackling some of the world's greatest mathematical problems and all this stuff he created new efficient algorithms for one of math's fundamental optimization problems and applied it to minimizing weights in line at Disney World. God damn. Uh, so he... <laughs> he used his powers for good, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to give back to the world, and, and by that I mean I wanted people to wait in line less at Disney World. He used his powers for good, yeah. On November 20th, I was relieved to hear the news that Disney's chief executive, Bob Chappick, had been fired and replaced with the former CEO, Robert Iger. The news was also met with near-unanimous celebration among my community of superfans. While his ouster shocked investors in Hollywood, many in our community had been actively campaigning for Mr. Chappick's firing for the past two years. A change.org petition. Oh, <laughs> listen, I don't have any sympathy for CEOs and like super rich guys like that. <laughs> Very weird. Well, you know, I guess I, I'm being hypocritical here because I'm also a grown man that uh, that tweets about UK needing to fire their offensive coordinator. So I guess I don't have much room to talk. But it's still weird. <laughs> Very fun. It's funny to imagine a group of middle-aged people that think that well, what we need to now is to go back to the Iger years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What it is, it's like, the weird thing about it is like, I hate CEOs and I can never, ever, ever sympathize with one. But this guy might be the first time that I've ever been like, yeah, maybe Bob Chappick had some points. Maybe he should have fucking <laughs> executed you guys. Like, maybe he should have made the rides a little more unstable <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey you know what you know what lynn testa i'll tell you what you bring up some interesting points and for your passion we're gonna let you be the first one to ride this new ride that's never been tested before. yeah bob chapik should have cut some more corners in the, per <laughs> the pursuit of profit <laughs> I just imagine this group of catty middle-aged people just nitpicking the shit out of Disney World, and it's hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Um, there were many factors that could have factored into Mr. Chappick's fall. Okay, that's a bad sentence. Many factors that could have factored in. Um, a $1.5 billion loss in its streaming service, poor handling of a pay dispute with the actress Scarlett Johansson, uh, and his admittedly flubbed response to Florida's Parental Rights and Education Act. We also pushed to have Mr. Chappick fired because he didn't believe in Disney magic. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, dear God. <clears throat> wait, I gotta, 
I gotta steal myself. That that sentence snuck up on me. I didn't realize we were that we were gonna hit it that we were gonna hit pay dirt that soon. Dude. Wow. Um we also pushed to have <laughs> Mr. Chapik fired because he did I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> like I know I say this a lot. Keep going. Keep going. Keep oh, going. dude, I've got a... Do you, do you want a fucking nuclear take? Bro, I've got a fucking nuclear take for you right now. <clears throat> I'm going to say Bob Chappick was right. <laughs> I've got an even more nuclear take than that, bro. <laughs> okay. The fucking people... And I hate Elon Musk. I If, any, if he ever gets put against the wall, I want to be the fucking person to pull the trigger. But the people that fucking spend... All fucking day, like, oh, Elon, like, I can't, what's your line? I can't, I don't have, like, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to Mastodon, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Elon's not upholding the true vision of Twitter. It's the same shit, bro. You're a, di- you're yeah. a Disney adult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're a Disney adult, yeah. <laughs> like, For something all- with, a, with a worse heritage somehow. <laughs> Disney, Twitter, they both need to end. They both need to fucking end. Just stop, stop complaining. And just ride the fucking roller coaster until it falls off. <laughs> oh man. Uh we pushed we also pushed to have Mr. Chappick fired because he didn't believe in Disney magic. Disney is so much more than just another big business. Understanding that is crucial to his success. <laughs> yeah. I would love to ask Lynn Testa what he thinks about Jim Crow. Not Jim Crow as in the system of segregation in the South, but Jim Crow as in the animated classic that's named for the system of segregation that existed in the South. Right. What would he have to say? What's the Disney magic behind uh, Walt Disney's anti-Semitism? Right. Uh, ultimately you're infatuated by a goddamn cartoon mouse and hey listen i get it bro but (laughs) to some degree i guess but this is very fucking bizarre i'm telling you it's like could you imagine if you're bob chappick and like you're just you're just getting ousted by like a (laughs) self-appointed group of like the arbiters of disney magic like no, you're not. You gotta go. You're not Disney magic enough. Um, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you don't want to cross these people. Like these people are fucking. These They're people dangerous, are dangerous, man. These are dangerous. People. Like I said, read John Fowles' The Collector. This is like, this is, this is some like high level psycho shit. Like this is way beyond just your classic like John Wayne Gacy like bodies under the floorboards like this is this is like layered and it's complex and it's extremely dangerous like they they would die for this shit are you prepared to die for what you believe in they're prepared to die for this well you think lynn testa would go to his death for for the mouse one thousand percent one thousand (laughs) percent dude they believe they believe in liberation from the body, from the prison of the body and of social reality, through death and purification by fire, dying for the cause you love. That's true liberation. And, I, and honestly, we need to learn from it. 
<laughs> so you think there's something the left could learn from this band of Disney vigilantes? <laughs> Listen to this. When Walt Disney when Walt Disney opened Disneyland, he referred to his theme park customers as quote unquote guests. And understanding that it is explicitly reinforced in Disney employee training to this day, and by which Disney's theme park community refers to itself. That vision was shared by Mr. Iger in his first turn as CEO. It was apparent that he cared about our expectations, our level of satisfaction, and our interests. What customers thought mattered. In contrast, Mr. Chappick and his executives dehumanized Disney's most loyal customers. (laughs) dehumanized he's like you fucking dogs you vermin (laughs) flee from my sight (laughs) you fucking dogs you stole this from us (laughs) disney might be the site of one of the biggest contradictions of capitalism right now in the sense that like chapik was probably like a stone-cold corporate killer and like he didn't give a flying fuck about like the, the the extreme hardcore disney heads um, he just wanted to make a buck, but like every fucking Disney CEO from here on out is going to have to basically like, you know, don like the purple cloak and like recite the ritual, <laughs> like read yeah. from the book. And, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Uh, oh God! In- instead of a news release, okay. In his August 22 earnings call, Mr. Chapik report- reported that Disney's theme park. Experiences and products division had generated $7.4 billion in revenue the third quarter, up 72% from the same time a year prior. He could have acknowledged Disney's theme park guests for the stunning results. Ah, <laughs> uh, dude, come on, man. Dude, oh. that, that, is a, that really is. Actually, this is... Thank God that Lynn Testa is obsessed with Disney and not say... Oh, I don't know. ISIS. Because this is a dangerous mentality. But this is the type of mentality that can be leveraged to just destroy things. Like, with the swiftness. Well, honestly, like... Man, what we need to do... If we're truly serious about overthrowing this country and the government, what we need to do is we need to convince the Dems... Ah, yes. What we need to do is we need to convince the Dems that this country would be best managed as a Disney part, like a Disney, as Disney, literally. Disney needs to merge with the government so that, (laughs) so that like when the next round of January 6th insurrectionists storm the barricades, the people going out to meet them in the streets will be guys like Lynn Testa. And they will all slaughter each other to death. It will be a massive, it will just be a huge mass, like a mutual massacre, you know what I mean? Like fucking Braveheart level <laughs> shit. And like, and then it's just arts for the taking, you know what I'm saying? And then, yeah, and then once the dust settles, then we'll have, <laughs> we'll have a just society. Yes. <laughs> God damn, dude. There's somebody in my mind that this reminds me of. I, I'm not going to say it on the show, but I'll tell you when we get off. But it's the same type of person. <laughs> to the letter. It's, it, it's, it's just fascinating to me that, like, he does go on to talk about, like, 
Bob Chappick laying people off. And I agree, it is like his response to like the Florida thing. I actually don't even know what the fuck. I don't, we didn't even keep up with that when like the whole like Florida Ron DeSantis groomer shit was going on with Disney and like their whole tete a tete. Oh, yeah. And they were <laughs> selling those shirts that said groomer in the Disney font. <laughs> right. So, like, and I, you know, I didn't keep up with that, but it is funny that like his biggest grievance, like he throws in that other stuff. But his biggest grievance, and I know this because he literally spends three paragraphs talking about it, which is more than he spent talking about the Florida, you know, don't say gay law and all the other stuff. His biggest grievance is that Chappick did not pander to them enough. He didn't thank them as Disney Park guests for the stunning results in Disney's revenue boost. Like, he didn't cater to them enough. He said... Instead, a news relief su- suggested that earnings would have been greater, but for, quote, an unfavorable attendance mix at Disneyland. Um, the company was essentially saying that too many annual pass holders were visiting from nearby instead of out-of-towners who stay at Disney hotels and eat at Disney restaurants more often. Again, dude, there's a kind of, like, fascinating contradiction there because it does make more sense profitably. It is... They do ensure long-term profitability if they bring in more like out-of-town guests and stuff like that rather than these like annual pass holders who like live like they're like deadheads so like live on the fucking right, you know, right. periphery <laughs> of the camp and like go in every day uh i don't know man it's like and that and like that gets to the fact that it is a cult which means that it probably has like only a limited like an expiration date right like yeah yeah Dude, this is essentially, this is in essence what Democrats are now. Not Democrats as in like our elected officials, but just Democrats in America are these type of people. Except, like, they can't point those criticisms at, like, where it needs to be pointed at. You know what I mean? Like, Bob uh-huh. Chappick is essentially Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> in this in this sort of, you know, calculus. <laughs> and um, what they want is Bob Iger or, you know, any one of these recycled Clintonites or Obama people to constantly stay in power because that is what like sort of scratches their little nostalgia itch for when they first got involved in politics and felt like they mattered because they could vote. I would you know? say Bob Chappick is not like Bernie Sanders. I'd say probably the best analog to him was be like Jim Webb. If Jim Webb momentarily had <laughs> a hold on the Democratic Party. <laughs> Bob Chappick uh, just say that he killed a man. Like killed he, a man with his bare hands. Um, <laughs> he ain't around to tell it. He said he he writes some fans responded by creating t-shirts emblazoned with the phrase unfavorable attendance mix and wearing them in the parks as in jokes to other fans. It's like I hate to break I guess it to you. That's better than groomer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I hate to break it to you but like that's not profitable for Disney. Like yeah, sure, like I guess maybe in the short term like in the next 30 years it helps them to have those attendant like annual uh uh, pass holders, but like, well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, it's like what they, what they what they have is an inflated sense of their importance to this thing they have sold their soul to. <laughs> that's that's exactly what it is. Like they, 
they fundamentally misunderstand the nature of like a corporation. And so yeah, like Lynn Test hates to break this to you, but you're not making Disney any money. It's like the first time like new newlyweds, first time having kids, bringing their kids there and they're spending like an insane amount of money. And then millions of those types are doing that. That's where they butter their bread at. It is not people like you that like uh, you know, you know, you, you 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 like buy the passes and then you like go there and max extract from them every day because you sprung for the free meal every day from Epcot's right. restaurant or whatever. You know, like right. you're not, they're not making any money off you. You think you're the loyal customer because you 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 love so, but. They don't care about you. <laughs> they don't. They don't give a flying fuck. And like for a brief second, they got a glimpse of that with Bob Chappick. And yeah. they did not <laughs> like, like it. it. They did no. not like it. Dude, and I, and I will say that like uh, one time like my ex got asked to house sit for one of her coworkers. And like, <laughs> like we went over there and there was all this Disney shit. And she was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, they really fucking love Disney. It's, you know, I don't really understand. And I was like, well, where are they right now? She was like, well, actually, they're at Disney World. Like, they went down there. <laughs> she was like, they went down there to conceive. They, like, literally went down what? to conceive their child at Disney. Like, that's how fucking hardcore it is, dog. Like, <laughs> dude, no. That's for real? <laughs> that is for real. 1,000%. And you know what? They were successful. <laughs> and so they'll take that as some sort of sign of you know just like imagine like you walk in and you like what's getting you fucking horned the fuck up man you you fucking shaking hands with goofy you're fucking like either like, like this is what this is you know <laughs> before we can see oh my god that's like some sort of fucked oh my god dude goofy that, dis- got me that disturbs goofy. me that disturbs me on just uh, that shakes me to my core quite frankly i'm gonna be honest with you <laughs> that's one of those things i hear i'm not gonna be the same <laughs> it is a cult <laughs> got, got me acting goofy <laughs> goofy got me acting goofy um mr chapik used the phrase synergy machine to refer to the company he came up with the phrase to encompass disney's ability to share a story across platforms but the jargony business speak left us cold. Fans mock the term with, naturally, more t-shirts, placing Mr. Chappick's face at the will of a Scooby-Doo-like van called the Synergy Machine. Oh, dear where, God. Where, where the aforementioned child was conceived. <laughs> what, what Mr. Chappick doesn't understand is the role we fans play in creating the Disney magic. It is our Instagram accounts, our blogs, and our websites that those out-of-towners refer to in order to prepare for that revenue-generating Disneyland trip. Okay, okay, okay. okay, okay, Yeah, these out-of-towners. Bro, you live in goddamn Orlando, Florida. (laughs) A place LeBron James said if he was ever traded to, he would just retire. (laughs) Yeah, he says, I get paid to do it, but many others do this work just because they love it. Mr. Chappick disregarded us. It's like, yeah... I can see how you could come up with that justification in your mind, but I guarantee you that's not probably the majority of what's driving people to go to Disneyland. Like, I, it's not your fucking dumbass little blog. <laughs> yeah, Lynn Testa. Let's see. What's, 
what's funny is for a man that claims to be this devout, his like Twitter handle has nothing to do with Disney. It doesn't say anything in the his bio about Disney. Wow, false. Oh wait, I take that back because he does in his header it is fucking Epcot Center. So <clears throat> maybe I'm uh, wrong about that. Dude, I don't even know what the Epcot Center is. Honestly, my brain has done like a corrective programming thing where like I hear the word Epcot and I think Epstein. So like I must have like hypnotized or something to myself years ago where I just um, convinced myself that the two words were synonymous. I'm going to be honest, bro. Ever since that story about the... The old man that should have been retired falling into that vat of oil or whatever it was at Disney World and dying. I've not felt right about all this shit since. It's almost like, it's almost biblical Dude, what happens I, to that goddamn place. Or like right in the middle of the pandemic when all the millions of people just descended when they opened back up. Yeah. Like, I've never, there was just something about like, you know, I don't want to use the, I mean, some goofy shit I said during the pandemic was like feeding your kids to Moloch, but <laughs> it was kind of like that. <laughs> Not gonna I lie. never, I've never been, so I don't know what it's like. I've heard that there are some rides that are pretty tight, but the, I have to imagine that if I was there, I would be extremely depressed. I, th I have to imagine it would probably put me into a deep, fucked-up depression. Oh, man. Knowing that there's, like... Knowing that there's, like, husbands walking around, like, trying to get it, you know, trying to get the fucking juices flowing, like, trying to fucking work up, you know, the libido, like, the magic, like, by shaking Tigger's hand and stuff. Just be like, you know, or, like, Ariel... <laughs> Oh, oh god, dude! <laughs> just your face, just the most disturbing, just like trip down the fucking. These places are fucking insane, anyway. Not Disney, obviously, but relatedly, uh, one of my friends from college, Tracy, played Wonder Woman at uh, Six Flags, and. Uh, she was traumatized by when a kid jumped the fence to get his hat and got his got decapitated by a fucking oh theme park God. ride. Can you just imagine that? Just like coming to you're like, did I just fucking see that? And you're just looked down. You're in a Wonder Woman outfit. It's just like it's just one of these American grotesqueries. You know? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, dude. Um. That is really an amazing image, honestly. Um, he spent some time talking about how Chappick was firing a bunch of people from the Disneyland park, um, probably for COVID, because they were probably losing money and shit. Again, like, Chappick, he's a fucking CEO. Like, he's probably um, doing what CEOs do, which is treating the workers like shit and cutting costs left and right to maximize profit. But, like... It just doesn't compute that way in Lynn Test, like that in Test's Lynn Test's mind. Like that's just uh, not how Disney. Like Disney is magic, literal magic. You know? Yeah. It's fucking yeah. crazy to think about. Like, um, <laughs> is his name like an anagram involving Tesla or something like that? Yeah. yeah. In Tesla. In I Tesla. Guess. 
sin Tesla. I don't know. There's something, something. I don't know. There's a weird Musk synergy with this name. <laughs> there is. You're right. He uh, he writes. Mr. Iger is not perfect. He approves all. He approves Mr. Chappick as his successor. After all. But there's a reason a senior Disney executive summarized Mr. Iger's return with the words, Daddy's back. <laughs> oh, okay. And this is where I hang myself with this microphone. Sorry. I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's been fun. It's been real. But I'm not sure I want to keep plugging on in a world where Daddy's where back Daddy's about Bob back. Iger being a thing. Oh, man. Uh, shit. To further mend the relationship with our community, Mr. Iger should explain how Disney is going to use the revenue from upcharge programs to improve the guest experience. If he wants to learn more, I sincerely suggest Mr. Iger try to plan, book, and take a Disney World vacation on a middle-class budget, relying only on Disney's website and app. When he's overwhelmed by the cost and complexity, I know many fans who'd be happy to talk him through it. No charge. Uh, he... Lynn Testa is a computer scientist who is also the co-author of the Unofficial Guides theme park books and the owner of the theme park website Touring Plans. Dude, I don't know why, but just reading that sentence, like I had this momentary vis- like image, this visual image of walking into a crowded a crowd of people and my body exploding from like a suicide vest. <laughs> <laughs> I just like just like the sweet release of that, you know what I'm saying? Like uh having my body torn to shreds from C4. Like you're just sitting there like enjoying an ice cream cone while somewhere over the rainbow plays and then all of a sudden boom. <laughs> <laughs> And you just have I mean, a smile not, on your face the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would never do that, obviously, especially not if there were innocents around. But if it was like a hundred Lynn Testas, it I don't know, man. Be, it might be persuaded. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. Oh. Wow. Well. I thought, I will be honest with you, going into that one, mm. I thought I was going to have some I thought we were gonna have some laughs at this yeah, guy's expense. That, I feel very <laughs> perhaps more so than I mean, I could have turned on the news and saw one of the worst tragedies <laughs> and I would feel more hopeful about the world than after reading that. I'm I'm with you. Honestly, it did not go down like I thought it would. I thought it would be funny and we would have some laughs, but it was I'm gonna be. I'm gonna wake up at two a.m. with some indigestion. I know that much. <laughs> God damn. Well, anyway. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> well, I'd say that Patreon. about covers your- <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, um, please go check out the Patreon. Um. We need some Disney shooters in our fan base. Really? Yeah, gosh, yeah. Any of y'all looking to defect, feeling betrayed by the <laughs> by Bob Shappick at all, come on over here. We could uh, we could use you. <laughs> yeah, truly. <clears throat> um, please go yeah, please go check out our Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com. 
slash Trillbilly Workers Party. I just want to say, as we're signing off, um, rest in peace, Christine McVie. Uh, yeah, I saw that. Dude, that's fucked up. I fucking love goddamn Fleetwood Mac. As is probably obvious, I'm a basic bitch. But uh, there's nothing basic about that. Um, God damn, man, that's sad. Truly sad. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what happened, but uh, you know, um, uh, go listen to uh, Tusk. That's the fucking shit right there. Oh man. <clears throat> um. <laughs> I was just telling somebody about that weird guy that used to like weirdly stalk us. Yes. And I remember when we showed you something he'd said, you said, you know what? Just write him back and tell him to never contact you again, but also go play Fleetwood Mac's Tusk album. It'll, <laughs> it'll help you get through that, <laughs> through what you're going through. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, that's my that's my recommendation for anybody. Really, it's a great album. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Well, thanks for listening this week, everybody. Um. We'll we'll catch you on the Patreon in a few days. Until then, have a good one. See ya. Adios. <laughs>